We're doing a lot of episodes about AI lately. Always trust the process. Welcome to another episode of Trust the Process, a podcast produced by the Martin Trust Center for MIT Entrepreneurship. My name is Chris, and I'm the host around here. Today's episode, I'm joined by Doug Williams. And I'm Doug Williams. I am the product lead for the Martin Trust Center's Orbit Software for MIT Entrepreneurship. And Amu Kalada. Hi, I'm Amrita Kalada. I go by Amu. And here at Martin Trust Center, I work as Associate Director for Programs, Events, and Community Management. Doug and Amu are the minds behind a groundbreaking AI-powered system that allows teams to test their ideas against the Trust Center's entrepreneurial frameworks. This project has taken the principles of disciplined entrepreneurship and startup tactics to a whole new level. Leveraging tech designed by Delta V alumni Stack AI, Amu and Doug have crafted a program that's all about speed, efficiency, and sharp strategic thinking. Imagine having the ability to rapidly test your entrepreneurial concepts, swiftly moving them through the Trust Center's models, and spending more time on what really matters, critical thinking and refining your ideas. That's exactly what Doug and Amu's program will offer to teams across the globe. Right now, the program is in a beta test here at MIT, but we hope to bring it out into the world soon. So uh, right when we got in here today, Amu started talking about how she won a game show in India when she was a kid. And I think we should start with that. How did you even get on the um, the game show program? Oh, my God. I think it's um, when I was like 10 years old or something. And uh, they had this game show on the regional TV channel. And they advertised in the newspaper calling out for like kids under like in a range. And my mom just took me there one weekend and I got selected out of like 300 kids and uh, it's four students or like four kids and it's like a quiz show and uh, I won like two to three rounds and they offered me to like either you want to go to a sec- like another round or you can cash in your prize which is a laptop and I don't know like 2008 or nine and it was big for me it was the first computer I ever got it's HP. So you took the laptop? Yes, I did. <laughs> what was the? What would have been the uh, top prize? The top prize? I think it's a car. Well, a 10-year-old can't do much with a car. Exactly. I thought the computer was like amazing. Yeah. And did that lead to what your interest now? Definitely. I was more into tech because of like, you know, being able to access the technology. So, yeah. Huh. And it was, you said it was your first computer. Was it like your first computer in your home or was it just like your first computer that you had total control over? Hmm. It was the first computer I had total control over. Hmm. Yeah. We had those, one of those white box, big computers, you know, that's put in the living room that everyone uses. We had one of those things. I always found it difficult to connect to the internet because we had to dial in. No one can speak on the telephone while you're doing it. It was like, yeah. Hmm. Can you tell me like what what did uh, what did your living room look like? We had I don't know if it's a thing here. It's like a day bed. We had a day bed, and uh, my favorite part was the day bed, <laughs> <laughs> like because I used to take afternoon naps there, play with my dog and all that, and uh, of course the computer over there. And uh, the huge part of the use of the computer for me was playing audio songs, like you know, like songs in general. 
So I used to buy a lot of uh, CDs of songs, movies that I loved, and that's what we used to do. And uh, living room is where we spent most of the most of our time. Hmm. And, and were you overlooking the beach? No, this yeah. is no. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you're near the beach. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, we are like a two minute away from the beach, like two minute walk. Hmm. It was it was really amazing. Yeah, I don't think many people think of India as like a beach destination. Uh, it's just not what comes to mind for most Americans. So could you tell us maybe a little bit about what it's like living in a beach town in India? My favorite part of living there is uh, the peace. It's not like you're in a rat race. No one is comparing yourself to the other. Generally, because beach town has a vibe of like relaxed and like taking life at a different pace when compared to cities. But one of the favorite things about it is you watch the sunrise. It's the most beautiful sunrise I've ever seen. And we used to go on morning walks. And uh, the government, what they did was they blocked the roads from like 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. So no vehicles, motorcycles, nothing. It's open for public to walk uh, across the beach and just watch the sunrise in the morning. But yet you like things fast-paced, right? <laughs> That's one of the things I think Doug picked up after I started sitting beside him. Yeah. Yeah, I like, uh, I think I mentioned this uh, some other time is that I get bored easily. So I'm like always looking for something new to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope that's what part of why you're here in this area. That's part of why I'm here. Yeah. yeah. My yeah. my folks moved from um, Chicago to Florida and great place to go to high school, but it didn't seem it was too relaxing. Mm. And and I really like this area. I think you do too, because there's so many smart people, so many interesting things, and um, you're constantly challenged. So it, it's yeah. funny. I I always say um, for people that are living in the beach, one of us is failing an IQ test. <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably me. <laughs> but, but, uh, but that's what's fun about this area, and yeah. MIT, and then the Martin Trust specifically. And I think Definitely. that's one of the things you like. So. Oh, yeah. All the new students that come in, the ideas they bring in, and uh, even the things we get to work on. Every day I see new challenges and like new ideas coming up, and I'm excited to work on those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so before we get too far away from anything else, I'm wondering, since you were, um, uh, com- you said computer science, electrical engineering major in college, your undergrads? Yeah. Is that right? So I'm wondering, actually, if we could have the same question. Do you remember your f- the first computer that you ever had? Yes. Yes, certainly. So I think both of us are, are very lucky. Amu and I, we've got both have, you know, strong parents. Um, yours are doctors. Um, I come from an engineering family, so um, very proud. My um, maternal grandfather was Rutgers class of 21, electrical engineering, 40 years with the Bell system. So he watched watched it move from circ, you know, from wiring to transistors. My paternal grandfather was uh, also an engineer. We believe we were came from Welsh coal miners, so engineering comes naturally, and I really like it. Consequently. Both my grandfather and my father like having the latest, trying out the latest tools. So the first calculators, the first computers of various forms. Um, and then I would get the hand-me-downs. So I ended up with my dad's Apple II when he got something else. I realized that he had, I'd gotten the better of the deal. He he went for a luggable at the time and thought that was good. And um, um, so I had one in my room, as Amu said, that I, I owned. Um, I had early... I had busy calc, you know, early spreadsheets. Basic was on it, thanks to Bill Gates. Uh, so I could do programming early on. 
So it was, it was, it was just sort of what I was used to is that either my grandfather or my father would show up with the, the latest, latest, greatest, um, on that side. Early on, I felt like this is a kind of cool time to, for when I was growing up, that this technology looks like it could be fun to work with and it'd kind of be fun to figure out how to make it useful. And I've kind of just ridden that right along. So this has just been a phenomenal time to be in that. And um, the key is thinking about how to do things useful that are useful. And that's that's what's really fun about this particular project. It's almost instantly was useful through a combination of things we'll talk about. But, mm. but yeah, so that was my... And Moore's Law has just been phenomenal. You know, it's just, you can count on it. I read when I was very young, Bill Gates said, count on it. And I knew he was very smart. So, um, and I, none of us expected to last this long. And it's doubling now with um, the arms race and the big cloud providers and such. Hmm, yeah. I just realized Doug yeah. and me have more similarities than I realized, like, you know, that I've known. Like ECS, my thinking of doing electronics engineering was also understanding, being able to build the technology, but also like being able to code applications on it. But another thing that I understood is I was asking him a question, I think two weeks ago, the first programming language he worked with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't now give I that know. away. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, minus C, C++. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mine predated that, so we won't go there. Uh, <laughs> he but, just named it. But, the, um, but it has been neat, and you've seen it. Um, you, you see a wave, and you think, oh, my gosh, i got to catch that wave. If I don't catch it, this could be horrible. But then you realize there's successive waves. And um, I've had the good fortune to have ridden quite a few waves. So. Um, it's one of the reasons that brought me back to, you know, Martin Trust Center after graduating, working in New York with other startups at Techstars. And I just felt like Boston and MIT is such a cool ecosystem that it just feels like home for entrepreneurship. You know, you take an idea, there's never an idea that's a bad idea. You always have to try and figure out if it's the right fit for you, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so I'm thinking it's kind of interesting to me. Um, you both sort of have described, uh, actually, Amu hasn't really described this, but I, I get the feeling it might be true that you uh, you approach things like somewhat uh, intentionally. I think that comes naturally to people who are interested in engineering. Um, but what's interesting is what Doug is saying, um, identifying waves and sort of being able to see um, waves of things that are coming over the horizon isn't really, um, it's actually quite an abstract thing to be able to do, right? Because waves don't uh, well, waves in nature do come in, in these sort of uh, timing patterns. But what you're talking about, these technological advances, although they may be, you know, we know every certain number of years there will be some new technology, actually having the insight to be able to identify which technologies are going to affect things in the future is quite an abstract skill. So I'm wondering what, wondering what you would say to that idea. How, how do you have both the intentionality that is required of engineering, but also sort of that abstraction? Well, first, I, I don't alone have that. And that's what I learned early on. It 
I have friends, Amu would be one, <laughs> who give me that, help give me that insight. And so, um, it, and this is true, the, the Boston is, happens to be neat. It's pretty easy. It's a layup. But it's true everywhere. It's true in your hometown. Mm-hmm. There's pockets of people, like-minded people. Um, they can unite on applying these things. But you want to find a like-minded community, either right with you or or around the country. In fact, we just talked to somebody in Austin, and I can introduce her to somebody I know in Austin. Um, you know, keep making those connections, um, uh, which is ultimately one of the things. Our next thing we'll be working on uh, in the orbit um, sphere, but having that range of people. So I have um, I have friends that just constantly generating ideas. They're just ideas machine. Um, Amu and I talked and both of us are problem solvers. So uh, if I see someone that I, someone with an idea, I, you know, kind of pattern match. Is that something that's interesting to me? Uh, if it's not, that's fine. Let, you know, encourage them. Uh, can I help with the idea? Uh, if it is cool, do I like the person and, you know, and then I, you can kind of decide where you spend your time, but it's really the people I know that give me the insights. And so, um, the founder, um, you're one of the sources you, you do a lot of outreach on your own. I, I would say people first and then information. And you know that you've watched <laughs> me, um, you're very deliberative about, um, posting what books you've read. You want to talk about your, where you are? How I keep up, just my curiosity drives me, like, you know, so I read articles every day whenever I find some time. I also read books, like Doug mentioned. Um, I try to, like, read at least 10 books per year, and uh, sometimes I go for 12. But the way how I keep up is, like, you know, the right now with internet and all of that and new media channels like Substack and, like, you know, you have your own website in minutes. You can easily find people in the industry that you really want to follow rather than just like New York Times or like Bloomberg News. You can actually follow the people who are creating this content, being in the place of making this content happen. As in like you can hear directly from someone who's actually building the product rather than reading about it from a third person perspective. So that's what I try to do, like, you know, subscribe to a lot of newsletters and like, you know, product updates and all that. But I would say one thing that really helps me is Doug comes from a place where like he approaches it more intentionally than me. And I look at it as in like I see something new. I feel like one of the superpowers I have is adapting quickly to it, like understanding the technology and the application for it. Whereas there's no uh, intentionality at that degree where like let's approach it step by step, see where it fits. Uh, No, I'm like I see something new understand it immediately, see where it fits. Hmm. Yeah. That's where Doug pulls me a little and like, you know? (laughs) Well, it's, it's, it's good to have complementary skills. And, and um, for me, having been around such smart people, I've learned over time to just kind of ride that wave too, not try to outrun them. Um, Luckily for Bill Allett and myself, um, Arthur Brooks at, Harvard has studied this phenomenon. So there's sort of rapid intelligence when you're young. And he's also identified collaborative intelligence as you grow older. And uh, Bill and I hope we're on the 
offering the latter. Oh, definitely. Dago yeah. offers me a lot of direction, you know, <laughs> where to focus this energy on. Before this, I was just building chatbots, like, you know, for random applications for my own selfish use, like condensing information, categorizing them into to-do lists, things like that, own selfish reasons. And uh, even like team matchmaking for Star MIT. Yeah. So I was like coming up with this uh, ideas and building these randomly. But Doug, where he comes in and provides me direction is that think about putting this application in use in the context of our programs. Like, you know, making me think about how I can contribute to what he's doing and the mission for Orbit. Hmm. And, and I'm not leading. Um, it, it's neat to be in a sort of non-hierarchical in, environment. I'm encouraging. So um, uh, I'm a sounding board for Amu, who's moving at 100 miles an hour. And uh, since I'm moving at less than 100 miles an hour, I have to kind of steer where she might be going. So, um, but, but it is that. And it, it, it's fun for me, um, having led a lot of engineering organizations, to be here as more of an individual contributor. Um, and... Um, yeah, just with the focus on what we're trying to achieve, make sure it's consistent with the trust center and and matters. Um, and that's what's been, again, fun about particularly the um, more recent work we've doing is taking this generative AI and, and applying it ways that are truly useful um, to experienced entrepreneurs, as well as people who are just thinking about it for the first time. And so these tools um, that you've been developing with Stack AI, can we, uh, I guess, because you're you're newer to the project, I'm wondering what your perspective is on how um, you've been working with this company um, and like what is the what is the point of integrating with them? Definitely. So I don't know if I mentioned this before, but Doug and me sit beside each other. This is exactly how I like found Stack AI was he was, he has this big monitor. I just watch him work. And I'm like, this is cool. I want to know what he's working on. And then every day for like a week or 10 days, I kept like sending him AI articles or products I came across or like uh, showing him the chatbots I made. And slowly Doug introduced me to this is the tool I'm working on. And I had some idea on a single step, like I think it was market segment or something like that. And I created one idea creation. He put it on Orbit Labs. But it started out small like that, him giving me one step. That's how I got introduced to Stack AI. But I haven't coded in a long time before Stack AI or like even programming in like Stack AI doesn't need code. It's low code. But even being able to like, okay, I can do this even after haven't like done any programming for like five years now, six years, I think. So Stack AI is that easy to pick up. Like when they say low code, no code, they really mean that. And one of the other things I like working with Stack AI is that it made it so easy to take my thoughts, the idea I had, and building a product in minutes. Like, it looks like I'm talking about low code and no code, but not really. In this context, you have an AI, you want to put AI to work, and it takes you minutes to do that with Stack AI, rather than even go to playground, which is open AI's development site 
and work on there, then create a front end, do the API call and all that. So that's how easy it is with Stack AI. And again, it's all collaboration. And for me, I need to collaborate. Everyone who's worked with me knows I need to, but that's also the superpower is the ability to work with these talented people, such as I mentioned. Um, and the other good thing about working with Stack AI, um, we also worked with another company, Custom GPT, is you also, if you work with these people you, early on, or Eileen at Talawa, mm -hmm. um, she's a branding. Um, you get the super smart, super focused people. It's just another wonderful. So they become collaborators in your team, but you make sure you're helping them as well. So um, in these early stages, you can just get phenomenal people. And that's what we have with Stack AI. So the founders are building the technology. Um, Pablo is here at Sloan. He's sitting with us. He went through the, through the entrepreneurship course so we can, he, he is an end user. We saw Stack AI as, as, as one of those tools that could help us. Um, but you still have to know what problem you're solving. Mm -hmm. And so um, for us, I was brought in um, last year the, um, to head up our Orbit software here at the Martin Trust Center. Orbit had come to be uh, through Paul Cheek, who is now our executive director. Uh, he had come in as um, the first software engineer. There was a belief that we needed uh, resources on the staff. And as we grew it, it became obvious that we needed to think about where we could take it within MIT and potentially beyond. And so, um, and what we've come with is we want to move from Orbit being the one-stop shop for MIT entrepreneurship, pulling all the resources together, all the events, all the people to move from capturing information to providing guidance. Uh, when the wave of generative AI washed over MIT, we had all the resources, but where do you apply it? And uh, the tool Stack AI came in at a very fortuitous time. They provide a very structured tool. Amu began trying out idea creation using five different methodologies. When we wanted to put that live on our lab site, which is a place for experimentation, uh, she could then set that up using pipeline, using building blocks. Mm -hmm. You know, here's a building block for the inputs. Uh, she used five different types of resources through her own research. She could lead the prompts. She could talk about what the outputs were in structure, and that became a project. And then we had to review the idea. You know, is it a good fit? And then start through the steps. 24 steps of discipline entrepreneurship, 15 steps of startup tactics. Each is a separate project, so we, it's very easy to manage. And this weekend, we'll be working at tuning to get ready for class, kind of the final tuning. Um, and then in addition, we had very talented um, designer from MIT, uh, Nav from Rumor in Vancouver, and... Um, Alfredo Garcia uh, in Mexico with Fuzzy Flags, his own agency, but very user focused. So the combination of being able to apply the AI, but do it in a way that was simple. Um, if, you, if you make it complex and it defeats the purpose, but do it in a way that's intuitive and then continuing to get feedback, which is what we did during Start MIT and Fuse over January. Hypothetically, let's talk about a generic MIT startup that's 
interested in the discipline entrepreneurship framework. What does their experience going through the program that you guys have developed look like? Like, uh, like literally the, when they just click on the website, what does it look like? And like, what are you hoping that they get out of it? I'll I'll start and then you, you can get your impression. And, um, um, in the experience to answer your question is, uh, you come to discipline entrepreneurship, you enter your idea. Um, if you're a student or you want to get into entrepreneurship, we have Amu's tool for idea creation there. So um, if you already have an idea, you enter it. For Liquid AI, we had um, had Ann mm-hmm. enter the idea, and it quickly segmented. Um, hmm. uh, Chris, did you do it for your startup? No, but I'm going to have to go through it now. You've inspired me to do it. We're going to do it with you. Okay. Um, but you can put your ideas in. So it can be variants of your ideas to test. You click on the idea, you get brought to the 24 steps, um, and then you can go through each step in order, or if you're interested in total addressable market, for instance. Uh, and then the benefit is Bill Allett and Paul Cheek in Discipline Entrepreneurship and Startup Tactics have built worksheets and workbooks for each step. That's the secret sauce in combination with good UX and UI and then Stack AI enabling us to easily harness the LLMs, um, uh, open AI to start, um, but we'll, we'll keep testing all of them. So we've met with Liquid AI because it's local. They want to be more efficient. You know, could we use them in the future? You know, we'll try. They let us, through their building blocks, easily try new things. What we're able to offer to the entrepreneurship community, to you, is all the elements you should think about for your beachhead market. You know, what are the, all the different parameters? Our beachhead market matrix is 18 different elements. It's a lot of work to fill out that out for multiple segments, but the workbook works extremely well with the knowledge embedded in the OpenAI LLM, uh, large language model. Uh, so that combination of good UI, large language model, stack AI to make it easy, uh, and then the matrices, you get amazingly good outputs. How does it? How does a future entrepreneur engage with the systems? One of the things that Doug mentioned was he was testing out using Orbit as an idea in the platform, and that's at least a flushed out idea. Like you know, Orbit existed before these twenty four steps. Uh, sorry, these tools are on AI modules and twenty four steps in Orbit, right? Whereas when I joined, while already Doug was like three steps, four steps in, what I realized was the idea that I wanted to test is just four words. We are platform for education. The reason for that is um, sometimes ideas are not as flushed through as like Orbit or even your idea. Like you have an idea of like, what is the business? Who's the customer and all that. Sometimes the idea is just, I have this tech. I think it's useful in ed tech or like I have this tech, maybe it's useful in healthcare. It's just so simple. You still don't know how to commercialize this idea or anything about how do I take it to market. That is where I see like, you know, coming into these 24 steps, even with such a vague concept of your idea and your business, a future entrepreneur can come in and go through these 24 steps and not even all of them needed, like, you know, get the idea of like, okay, I've went through this and now I understand 
more than what I came in with about my business, about how to take it from here into the real world, mm-hmm. you know, whereas like what Doug talked about, like, you know, with Orbit and all that. So that's where I come in. And I think that's where it can help. And as someone who has done new enterprises, these 24 steps framework without using this and now using it, what I can say is I did it in a team. Like Doug mentioned, it's collaborative. Like day one, that's what Bill asks you to do. Pitch your idea in class or either join the team, like, you know, join a founder who has an idea, right? That's day one new enterprise. And I joined a team. We are still friends. We keep in touch. So doing that with a team still took us a lot of time. Even though we came from diverse backgrounds, we had business knowledge and all of that, still took a long time to do these worksheets. But now I understand that it's going to considerably reduce the time by using the like, you know, AI modules. But what it encourages rather is critical thinking and less focus on filling the worksheets and more focus on applying the information you get from the worksheets. Mm. And exactly I love that. Right. Exactly know? right. Yeah. And that's, that's actually the intention that Bill and Paul had is you should look at all these dimensions when you're at an early stage, like you were describing, to kind of put form on it. Do I really want to pursue it? What should I be thinking about it? Or if you're farther along, um, for me, I put in the extension of Orbit. Mm. So it's mm. it's kind of a relaunch, um, but it allows you to focus on the critical thinking, not the production yeah. of it. Right. And you probably didn't start it um, because you thought it's another to-do list, another task. And through the people that we've talked about, the um, Amos and the Navs and the Alfredos and the Pablo and the Stack AI, um, we were able to produce this relatively quickly, but do it in a way that isn't burdensome to the entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So we'll take you through it and uh, we'll bet money that your eyes will light up. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's not another burden for an entrepreneur. The last thing we need is to burden the entrepreneur. It gets them to insights quickly. With any technology, there's going to be uh, unintended consequences, um, good and bad. Um, but it's certainly, I'm glad. Um, but I think in general, if you can apply to where it's helpful, all the better. And entrepreneurship is one of the ways really worldwide to lead to generational wealth or gener- you know, raising people up. And so we do ultimately want to uh, make this available First at MIT, get it right, but beyond MIT and not just other elite universities. Um, there is a certain level of frustration I have using like ChatGPT because it's so much, it's so general. Like I think, you mm-hmm. know, it, it's very generally useful, but it's not specifically useful. So do you see that the future of AI development comes from these kind of speci- these projects which make the AI more specific? Like in this case, the, your AI tools have been made very specific to the discipline entrepreneurship framework so the AI can answer questions um, super, uh, not efficiently, but it can answer questions uh, very truthfully and- uh, Specifically. Yeah, I guess specifically and also deeply, right? Yep. Is that what you see as the next- 100% yes. It's it's applying the technology. The chatbot was just an example of an application. It just had sort of universal user interface 
Um, hmm. But there's no question. You, you, thinking about problems, how we solve problems, I think we'll design websites different. But what? But first, you have to. If you do a website, what are you trying to do with the website? And I certainly have that with Orbit. We we have new students that coming to MIT. They might be PhD students. They might be undergrads. They're they're just trying to figure out how to navigate all the resources. So they're looking for connections to knowledge. The serious entrepreneurs are looking for connections to people. Um, mm. But what's the mission? And it's the the providing guidance then began to give us um, how we pull that together. And, and part of providing guidance is where to find information, um, how to use the framework. So uh, applying the technology to solve problems for specific customers, that's always going to be. There'll be something after GenIA. There'll be different generations. But the first principle, and it's the first principle we teach at the Martin Trust Center for MIT Entrepreneurship, which is who's your customer? And and um, we start our programs with primary market research and inevitably um, completely changes. So if you're doing your startup, the smartest people aren't you, your wife. The smartest people are the people that want to use your services or offer your services. And, and you've got to kind of see the whole range of those to kind of compile that together. Well, that's it for another episode of Trust the Process. This show is edited and produced by me, Chris Burns. The executive producer is Greg Weimer. We record all of our episodes at the Martin Trust Center for MIT Entrepreneurship. See you next time.